We're continuing in our Acts series, and I've entitled today's sermon, A Dangerous Convert. A Dangerous Convert. In Texas, uh, in my elementary years, we lived in Texas, Dallas, Texas, Irving, Texas, Richardson, Texas. And I remember when living in Irving, Texas, that I had a bike. And like kids uh, in their young years, I used to put a piece of plastic, like a plastic card, on my back spoke so that it make motorcycle sounds and we'd go around playing cops and robbers with the you know the spokes making that vibration sound uh, like a, to make it sound motorized but our friends and I would be out late you know back then parents didn't care where their kids were we just went out and came back late at you know 9 9 p.m. the sun was still shining in the summers but anyways I would ride my bike to uh, my friend's house and there was one street um, that I would cut through to go to my friend's house but one day when I was riding my bike down the street I saw up ahead what seemed to me in my young boy's mind a, a ferocious dog right in my memory I thought it was maybe like a German Shepherd or Doberman Pinter some ferocious angry big dog but perhaps it was just a terrier, a little terrier, but it was fierce. What I remembered is the dog barking and growling and starting to chase me. And this was one of the most scary times in my life, right? I started pedaling as fast as I can, like my little legs and the dog was like jumping at my tires and jumping at my bike and jumping at my legs, trying to bite me and I was freaked out. I was so afraid and my heart was pumping and I was trying to go as fast as I can. And finally, uh, it seemed like the dog was chasing me forever to the next block, to the next block. And as tears were streaming down my eyes, I was help, help, crying, but there doesn't seem anyone, no adults, no one there to help me. The dog, it was just the dog and me. And I didn't know how long I would have to pedal or if the dog would catch up and knock me down on my bike and eat me, tear me up. This was my fear, but finally the dog gave up and I pedaled crying at um, the top of my lungs uh, to my friend's house. And finally my friend's mom, uh, because I was so afraid to ride my bike back home, called my dad to pick me up. And uh, since then actually, and this is some insight into me, I've been afraid of stray loose dogs. So whenever I see one on the street, I'll stop and turn around, or I'll get really scared, or I'll clench up, or try to go uh, around the next block if I'm walking. And so that moment, you know, scarred me. It, it gives me fear still to this day, thinking about it. But I use that as an analogy, the dog on the street, the ferocious dog on the street as an example of an obstacle something that we really fear that's in our way. I remember that I never went down that street again. I would go down other streets because of that dog. And we have those things in our lives, like there's no way we can go past that obstacle. There's no way that I can go this way because I'm afraid of this thing or this situation or this person or this relationship. I'm afraid of those other people. I'm afraid of 
people that think like that. I'm afraid of people of that culture. I'm afraid of people who vote this way. I'm afraid of people who aren't Christians or who don't share my religious beliefs. I'm afraid of using my gifts, right? I'm afraid of singing. I'm afraid of writing. I'm afraid of sharing myself with the world. There are obstacles, the dog on the street. And fear creates a wall between point A and point B. And we don't want to go the straight way because of the dog in the street between those two points. But what I see in today's passage is, and in the life and conversion of Saul, is an example of how God can make a way. Amen? God makes the way. Just like the people of Israel escaping Egypt and they see the chariots and the horses breathing down and getting closer and closer and before them are dark waters of the Red Sea. There doesn't seem to be a, an escape and they're crying out the Lord, why have we come out of, this, out of Egypt in the first place? We're only going to die. And then Moses raises his hands and the, red, the sea parts, the waters parts, and there's a pathway of dried land for the people of God. God makes a way. When we think there's a wall, he tears it down. When we think there's an ocean that will drown him, he spreads the waters wide open. God makes a way. God is the wall buster. Christ is our peace, as we remember in Ephesians. Christ is a, our peace, breaking down the walls of hostility. You may think in these times of divisiveness in our nation, in these times of racial tension, that it's impossible. There are certain walls between, of hostility between people that will never be bridged. You just think that's a whole nother 50% half of the population that I will never be friends with, that I'll never be family with, that I'll never connect to, that will never see me for who I am, that will never look at me, or perhaps will always be dangerous in your eyes. But Christ is our peace, remember, breaking down the walls of hostility, the dog in the street, bringing peace and safety into a situation, making a way. And the spirit-infused church, us, we are ambassadors. We are wall breakers. We are bridge builders. We go through the impossible way. The church, we are called to be wall busters. In an irreconciled world, we're called into a ministry of reconciliation. Amen. And nothing is impossible. So when we uh, look at our passage, um, we have a timeline that Luke offers according to here in Acts that Luke offers. And what we read is that after his conversion, Saul was in Damascus for some time. So for some time, we don't know how long, a week, a two weeks, three weeks. He's in Damascus preaching in the synagogues and proving that Jesus was the Messiah. So in verse 20, we remember, at once, 
He's several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he begins to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is Son of God. Uh, eventually, the Jews, not, not, the, not the Christians in, in the town, not the Christians in Damascus, but the, the Jews tried to kill him. Right? They're, they're guarding the walls of the town. Many of the ancient cities, the walls surrounded the town for protection. And actually, houses were built up against the walls. So the, the backs of the houses are actually external, um, uh, connected to the wall. And so there's also windows, right? The back windows. And that's how um, Christians help Paul to escape, or Saul to escape um, from these people who want to kill him. Um, down the wall in a basket. Down the wall in a basket. And... This, I mean, reading this uh, immediately conjures up um, allusions to the Old Testament, right? Joshua in the, in the promised land, and they sent spies into, I think, Jericho. They sent spy, two spies into Jericho, and the people of the city was trying to look for these spies to kill them. And Rahab um, takes them in, a Gentile woman, takes in uh, these two spies, hides them on the roof, and then lets them down by a rope in the opening in the wall, very similar. And we see that Saul has essentially, like the two spies, have, has become a turncoat, has become a spy in Damascus against the Jews. And so they're seeking to kill him. If we continue in this timeline that we read in Acts, then Saul went to Jerusalem where Barnabas believed him and took him to meet the twelve. So he comes to Jerusalem wanting to be like, hey, I'm following Jesus now. Hey, I'm with you guys. And people didn't receive him in Jerusalem. The, the apostles are kind of like, people are afraid of him. You were the person, right, who persecuted us. You started this whole thing. You started this whole thing in the first place. You are the one who started our persecution. And so... No one wants to meet him until Barnabas, right, the encourager, the son of encouragement, um, who we'll read more about in Acts, um, advocates for him, champions for him, and says, hey, I heard this guy preaching and arguing up for Jesus Christ and, as the Messiah, and it was really good, and people were, the Jews were like wanting to kill him. This guy is legit. So he introduces them to the twelve. Then he preaches and debates with the Hellenistic Jews um, who, in uh, who also begin to want to kill him. And remember the Hellenistic Jews, right? When Stephen first began preaching the gospel, that's what started, uh, that's what started uh, the angry kind of persecution, um, set the wall rolling for persecution, right? The Hellenist Jews are the ones who falsely accused Stephen wanting to kill him uh, because he was preaching the gospel. Remember this, that Christianity uh, was a sect of Judaism. Just like you have your Pharisees, your Sadducees, different groups within the temple that believed different things, they were still all under the umbrella of Judaism. Um, but they disagreed, and that's what would happen in the temple and the synagogues a lot of times is people would debate theology. People would debate the scriptures. 
but it was all under the umbrella of Judaism. But when Stephen is arguing, argued with the Hellenists, he was brought with charges of speaking heresy against the law and Moses and speaking heresy against the temple. And that's when the violence started. That's why he was ultimately stoned. Right? So uh, Saul is a Hellenist himself. If you remember, Saul of Tarsus is from Sicilia, right? And that's, that's a Greek territory. He was raised Greek. He understands Greek. He's a Roman citizen. And at the same time, he was raised in Jerusalem um, as a Pharisee. So he's arguing with his own peeps, if you will, but who remained the same peeps that were arguing with Stephen. And they're getting just as angry. Right? And so they want to actually kill Saul. And then in order to save Saul, once again, Christians arranged for him to go to Caesarea and eventually into his hometown in uh, Tarsus. And if you remember, Caesarea is where Philip is from. So after Philip's conversation with the Ethiopian eunuch, he gets beamed out of there and lands in Azotus, and then it says he goes on preaching all through Samaria and ends up in Caesarea, his homeland, Philip's homeland, where he spends the rest of his days preaching. And as a side note, we learn later that in Caesarea, Philip has, ends up getting married, has two daughters, and his two daughters are preachers. So that's, that's another cool point uh, to remember. So that's the timeline, but how do we uh, negotiate this timeline in Acts with, if you were to read Galatians 1, 17 through 23, for instance, there's a totally different timeline, right? In Galatians, we learned that after his conversion, Saul didn't go immediately to Jerusalem, but actually traveled to Arabia. And Arabia is the lands just, you know, uh, bordering uh, Damascus. Um, and we don't know how long he was in Arabia. Later, he then returns to Damascus. Then after three years, he went to Jerusalem. There he spent 15 days, and he only met Peter and James, not the, all of the 12 apostles. Um, and finally, he went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia. So... I think what we can glean uh, to put all these together is that Luke and Acts is not necessarily giving, again, a chronological, like, this happened, then 15 days later, then three days later. He's giving us the main points, the main events. But it's quite possible that some time, uh, more time that we aren't given is in between those events. And so uh, probably Paul Saul, after his conversion, you know, he goes to Damascus, stays there, goes to Arabia. And I can imagine him in Arabia. His eyes are being illumined to the scriptures even more. Everything he read in the Law and the Prophets, everything in the Old Testament, he's now beginning to read in the light of Jesus Christ. And like light bulbs are clicking all over. It's like he can see Jesus in all of the law and the prophets. 
And his, you have to remember, he it was a Pharisee and like very educated, elite education under Gamaliel and knows the scripture. And now he has the context of Jesus Christ and he's reading the scriptures, I imagine, in Arabia. And then he returns to Damascus and he's preaching all in Damascus. And that's when, you know, the people want to kill him in Damascus and he's lowered by uh, a basket by the Christians and then goes to Jerusalem. But I want to turn now from the history and the context to why Saul? Why does Jesus, why does the Holy Spirit, why does God choose Saul to continue on in this ministry in Acts? Because from here, we'll, we'll read some about Peter in the next chapter, but really, Acts shifts to the, the ministry and mission of Paul, right? What, what, he was Saul, and his, he changed his name to Paul. Why, why do we turn now to Saul? Why not Peter? Peter was the apostle, right? We remember him in the beginning. He was at Pentecost. He was doing his three sermons, right? He was the man. He was doing miracles and wonders and preaching the gospel all over the place. Why not Peter? Why not Philip and Stephen? Stephen and, or, well, Stephen was martyred and was killed. But why doesn't Philip continue on in the, being the apostles to the Gentiles, uh, this new ministry, right? Well, he just, after the Ethiopian eunuch, we don't hear him anymore. And he ends his days in his hometown. But if we look throughout scripture, we see that God raises his leader in the midst of impossible obstacles, persecution, and ethnic conflict. Let's take a few, for instance. Moses, Joseph, Esther, right? Joseph, sold into slavery to Egypt by his brothers, but then rises to prominence in the court of Pharaoh, right? Because of his dream interpretations. And he becomes like almost the highest ranked person under Pharaoh in Egypt. And in this way, he becomes the source of salvation from the famine for his family and for, um, for his people. Moses, right? Moses, there was a de decree from Pharaoh to kill all of the babies of the Hebrews, right, who are now being enslaved by the Egyptians. Moses is saved, what? In a basket. Here we go, that image of a basket and salvation. And fortuitously becomes the son of the princess of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter. Esther, for a time such as this, right, because of her beauty, she becomes queen and becomes the person to save her people because of her position. In the Kairos moment, God uses these leaders, these bicultural leaders, bicultural, right? Have understanding two different cultures, living in two different cultures. Just like I'm Korean American. I'm Korean and I'm American. So I'm bicultural. 
and two, and two cultures. God uses these bicultural people. He raises them up in the fluency. They're raised up in the fluency of the dominant culture, right? They're fortuitously held in high positions in the dominant oppressing culture, and they speak the language of the dominant oppressing culture, but they are turned, they are turned and moved by God to advocate, champion, set free, lead God's people who are suffering. Are you with me, church? And so, naturally, as the Holy Spirit's mission is following what Jesus said in the first place in Acts before his ascension, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem to all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit is pushing the mission and the gospel we've already seen with Philip and Stephen and the other Hellenist Christians. They're bridges, right? They're, they're those transitions. Like Saul's persecution actually scatters the church into Samaria and and Philip and the other Hellenist Christians are transitions. They're bridge builders, right? They're the missionaries. They're the, the bicultural people, right? Who will help the gospel go out to people like them out of Jerusalem. And Saul, in the same way, he's a B.A. No, I don't want to cuss. He's a B.A., right? Look what we read in Philippians 3. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in flesh, this is Paul's own words, I have more. He's like battle rapping. You ain't nothing. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to a law, Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul is saying, I'm the Jew of all Jews. I was a Pharisee. I trained under Gamaliel, right? I was elite. I even was the greatest persecutors of Christians. So I knew that world. I understand that world. I come from that place. I was raised in Jerusalem and trained. Again, in Acts 22, I... I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Caesarea, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you today. I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters for them to the associates in Damascus and went there to bring the people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. I was a zealous Pharisee. I was the enemy of Jesus Christ. I was persecuting the church. He was multicultural, bilingual. He spoke Aramaic. He spoke Greek. Actually, he was born a Roman citizen. A lot of people in those times had to buy their citizenship, but he was born into Roman citizenship. He grew up in Jerusalem, trained under the greatest rabbi ever, and was on track to be 
the greatest Pharisee in the line of Gamaliel. But God turned his life around. And we see in this passage that everywhere he goes, people are afraid of him. He's a dangerous figure. To the Jews, right, he's a threat because he was one of them and turned, right? Now he's a turncoat. Now he's a spy. Now he's made a 360, and they want to get rid of him. They want to kill him because they're interest, interested in stamping out the way, stamping out the church. And so he's target number one, right? He's on the mo Pharisees' most wanted list. He's on the priest, Jewish priest's most wanted list. But he can't roll with the roll with the Christians quite yet, right? Because they're like, that was the guy who was bashing down doors, right? And persecuting us and dragging us out of our houses. That was the guy that was riding to Damascus to like shut down, you know, shut down our movement and and capture people and execute them. We can't trust him. Maybe this is some long game. Maybe he's still a spy. He's going to infiltrate us and like then turn on us and we're all going to go to prison. They don't trust him. They don't trust him. And we know that more than this, in a lot of Paul's writings, especially in Corinthians, he spent a lot of time defending his authority and defending his apostleship. Right, and this is a side note. Paul is God's apostle, being anointed now as an apostle, just like Peter um, and Matthew were in the beginning of Acts, and the, you have the 12 apostles. But the Spirit's ministry is moving, and we saw the bridge, the bridge leaders, Stephen and Philip, right? They began more than just waiting on tables they began to preach the gospel. Stephen was martyred. Philip, you know, had some major preaching, right? Was a part of some major ministries and conversions in Samaria. And then boom, Paul. And a lot of people talk about, you remember when they wanted to replace the 12th disciple because Judas Iscariot was executed and they, uh, they pulled lot, lots and it fell on Matthias uh, a lot of people think uh, that wasn't, or a lot of commentators think that that was the uh, disciples not being faithful, but actually rushing. Because Jesus earlier said, wait, go to Jerusalem and wait. But they're like, oh, there's always been 12 disciples. Let's draw lots because we only have 11, right? And it's Matthias. But people say that it was supposed to be Saul. It was supposed to be Paul. That was Jesus, the Holy Spirit's intention all along. But Paul, like the other apostles, wasn't with Jesus. Up until this point, all the apostles were there witnessing Jesus' life, followed Jesus when Jesus was alive. Paul was probably a Pharisee when Jesus was like, you brood of vipers, right? When dissing on the Pharisee, Paul was probably a young Pharisee listening to all that stuff. That's why he's so pissed at Christians, right? Where did all this anger come from? He hated Jesus, and now he's becoming an apostle. 
And so this is another thing to, to point to the fact that it's not human rules. It's not human, like, human rituals or customs that make God's leader, right? That anoints and calls God's apostle. You know, you have to be a male. You have, women can't be God's leader. Or you have to be Jewish. You have to be uh, a witness. Yet one of the original people who walked with Jesus to be an apostle. You have to have all these people, hands, all the 12 lay their hands on you to be apostle of Jesus. No. The Holy Spirit is going to do what the Holy Spirit is going to do. God is going to call who God is going to call to be his apostles to the Gentile. And our narrative is moving to the Gentiles, to the witness going to the Gentiles. And there's going to be a wall, a tension, another dog in the street. Because the Jewish people, as they're seeing all of these Gentiles in the future becoming Christians, they're going to freak out because they're going to be like, they're not circumcised. They eat pork. What are we going to do? We have to make them Jews in order for them to follow Jesus, right? And, he's, and Paul's like, no, 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 no. Pivot. Pivot. Christ and the gospel is more than just, it's not enclosed underneath ethnic walls or ethnic um, lines, ethnic rules, cultural rules. The Holy Spirit is busting out of that. And that's what the church is, is turning to. And that's why Paul becomes the leader of the moment. And that's why the power of God is able to turn Paul's life around. Think about it. As the Holy Spirit is moving the gospel beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judaism, pressure and persecution and obstacles are mounting. Who was the most feared persecutor of all? Who was the biggest obstacle in the way of the church? Who was actively targeting Christians and use, uh, using all of his power to seek and destroy the church? It was Saul. It was Saul, and God targeted Saul. Jesus targeted Saul and said, that's my man who's going to lead the next wave. Amen. Just think in your own mind right now. Who in your life is the person least likely to follow Jesus that you know? Who is the person least likely to follow Jesus that you know? Or who would I, think about this, who would I be the most intimidated to talk to about Jesus? Your boss? your extremely intelligent atheist friend, the meanest guy in the world, who? Think about that person, and this was Saul times 100. The figure who started the persecution and scattering of the church. And just think, that person that's in your mind that would be the least successful, accepting of the Christian faith that you would least likely most be intimidated to speak to about Jesus or witness to? 
do you think God has the power to change that person's heart, to change that person's life, to change that person's um, beliefs around? The impossible wall of hostility is taken, is taken out by Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and is turned into an asset. Saul is turned and made an asset. God does that. God did that. And God can do that in our lives. God can remove the biggest threats, the biggest dangers in our lives. What are we most afraid of? What are you most afraid of? Who are you most afraid of? What is blocking your way right now? What is the biggest obstacle in your life right now? The dog in the street that you're afraid of, so you avoid that block altogether and go to other streets and other ways, go around. What are you going around in your life? What is the barking dog? Lift that up to God. He can move walls. He can break down walls of hostility. Pray for our nation. He can move walls. He can break down walls of hostility. And as the church, we are called to be the, the ambassadors, the wall bashers, and the bridge builders in the impossible situations. We are called to that. He has brought you up in all of your experiences, in all of your background, how you were raised, what you've gone through in your life. He has brought you up for a time such as this to be a witness of the good news, an alternative way, to be a part of the way of God in a world that's hungry, in a world that's violent, in a world that needs hope right now, in a world that's tired, in a world that's broken, in a world full of hostility where two sides cannot talk to one another. And we stand in the gap, we stand there before us, a mission field for the church, just as Saul has become Paul. Saul, the quintessential Jewish name, right? King Saul, of Israel, the first king of Israel, become Paul, which is a Gentile Greek name. Right? You would think it'd go reverse if you converted to something, right? right? He converts to Christianity and lets go of that identifying Jewishness to jump into the world. Because that's what God needs, is people who can are able to jump in the world. Right? Let go of the things that hold us back or tie us to our own group and jump into the world because God has the power to move and change things. And then finally, in verse 31, we have another summary, just as we had many summaries in Acts. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. 
and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. The church that was once persecuted because of Saul now entered a time of peace and grew. Let's pray. Amen. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you have the power to change lives, to remove impossible mountains, to break through and make a way through even the dangerous rushing waters, making a way for us to go through safely. May your power lead us and guide us. And may we take risks and gamble and skydive and bungee cord jump um, in the name of Jesus Christ, knowing that you protect us, knowing that you're already going before us to make a way. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.